Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. Many stewards and managers in ancient times were slaves. Sadly, the English word slave has been tainted by modern Western slavery in America, Britain, and elsewhere, thus making it hard to use that word without forming some notion of grotesque human oppression. But slavery is still prevalent, and we must acknowledge its implications. We'll look at the slavery of today, today on The Whole Story. This is episode number 54, and I am so thankful for you being out there. 2024 is well underway, and I'm excited for the new year. As I said, a lot of exciting things coming from The Whole Steward this year, so be looking for those. However, today I want to address a topic that is quite difficult, actually. I found myself thinking multiple times, there's no way I could cover this in one podcast. So we will just touch the surface. I'm going to cover it in one podcast, Lord willing. So let's jump right in. The slavery of today. So what is going on here? What's the spirit behind this? Well, uh, this week is Martin Luther King Jr. Day um, coming up on Monday. Now, I appreciate that there is a day set aside for us to remember the things that Martin Luther King Jr. stood for and the legacy that he had in the history of our country in particular. The cool thing about holidays or holy days is that they are days that are set aside. That's what holy means. It means to be set apart. Now, not everybody has that day off, uh, but a lot of businesses and especially the government do set that day aside. So it's on my mind and I like to talk about it. If you didn't catch this, I wrote an article last year about Martin Luther King Jr. And I don't want to spend too much time, but just to point out the historical and cultural significance of this man. I mean, he was a Baptist minister and a civil rights activist, and the principles by which he fought for equality in America are based on a Christian worldview. I don't know if you had thought about that before, but it was something that I learned anew. In his speech, he appealed to the founding of the country and Declaration of Independence, stating that all men are created equal. And the, the truth is founded in a Christian worldview. What I want to do is take just a moment to play some of the I Have a Dream speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave in Washington, D.C. You might have heard of the quotes from him, but you've never heard the speech. If you haven't, I highly recommend listening to the whole thing start to finish. Uh, it's under 20 minutes long, and it's absolutely riveting. What I'm going to do is play just a few short portions and then talk over it for now and comment on it as we go. If you're watching, you can see it's very old video. If you're just listening, it'll make a lot of sense as well. So here we go. So, first of all, it's absolutely amazing. They're singing what sounds to be like a hymn. And so, really setting the tone for the march, very peaceful. It was the largest gathering in numbers per capita of the United States in Washington, D.C. At this time, I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation, I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. 
happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. How true was that? Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Abraham Lincoln. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. Now, what's fascinating about this is he's appealing to the Emancipation Declaration that Abraham Lincoln signed during and or right around the Civil War time. There's a lot to that. In fact, I believe from primary sources, and I love this because this recording is a primary source of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech that day. However, as a primary source as well, we'll look at a letter that Abraham Lincoln wrote and it was a lot more complicated. In fact, it was very political. It was a very political move that he had made. We'll look at that a little bit later. But anyways, just to pause here and note that he is appealing to what Abraham Lincoln had done. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. One hundred years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. One hundred years later, He's making a lot of general statements here, but many of them very true at the time. The, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize the shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. I think it's amazing here that he calls the words of those documents magnificent. They were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men Yes, black men as well as white men would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. There you go. So he sets the stage for the fact that there is still an issue in and so far as it comes to racism in the country. There is a big issue, he says. And America, drawing the analogy of writing a check, the country has written them a bad check, and it's come back insufficient funds. In other words, he's saying that 
yes, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, those are magnificent documents guaranteeing the, um, the rights of citizens. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And he's saying that means all men. All men. And they were addressing something very critical at the time, that culturally, America was not there yet. And he, he mentioned it. Segregation and uh, discrimination was absolutely still an issue. And so he's going to continue on and get into some very uh, acute details about why and how and the, the, the who, what, why, and where of this problem and address it uh, head on. And of course, he does that very well. I highly recommend you listening. But what I want to do at the moment is just skip ahead here to the critical part of where he kind of wraps it up. And this is where the Christian worldview really comes into view. So listen in with me as he wraps up his speech. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Having a dream that the country would live out its, the true meaning of its creed and appealing back there to those original founding documents. Awesome words that the founders came up with. Just in implementation, it had fallen short, and he was addressing that head on here. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. You think about it now, something like affirmative action, that's not fulfilling this dream. Uh, it's, it's exactly the opposite of that dream. But we can be thankful that this dream has come true in many ways, though in his lifetime he didn't see it. You know, the work that he's doing here is extremely important for that piece of history. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. Amen. And that's happened. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh shall see it together. He quoted from Isaiah 40 there, folks, right there at the capital of the United States. I hope this is a faith that I go back to the South with, with this faith, 
we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the crevaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Amen. So there you go. The classic, memorable, I have a dream speech. Martin Luther King Jr., just a few snippets of what was an incredible, amazing uh, speech that day, the March on Washington on August 28th, 1963. Thank God for men like him who very clearly articulated a biblical Christian worldview as the justification for not only living out the original creed of this nation, which has its flaws, absolutely, but we have made a lot of progress in that regard. And if you don't think so, uh, I know that in my experience, and I, I invest in the South, I have um, family who live in the South, and what he, his dream right there has come true, and I'm not saying all the problems are fixed, and everything is perfect, but right there, the justification for bridging this gap and mending the wrongs of the nation, the challenges that were presented, was rooted right there in Scripture and in the founding documents. So he said in his speech that after quoting Isaiah... 40, he said, this is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. Now, very quickly, what was I talking about the Emancipation Declaration being a political move by Abraham Lincoln? Well, just very quickly, if you haven't seen this, uh, it might be interesting to you. I was pretty amazed by it, actually, myself. Abraham Lincoln wrote to Horace Greeley a letter, which comes from a newspaper clipping here. It was published August 22nd, 1862. And it's a primary source, so I love that. These are the words of Abraham Lincoln writing. And he says, As to the policy I, quote, seem to be pursuing, end quote, as you say, I have not meant to leave anyone in doubt. I would save the Union. I would save it in the shortest way under the Constitution. 
The sooner the national authority can be restored, the nearer the union will be, quote, the union as it was, end quote. If there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time save slavery, I do not agree with them. If there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery, I do not agree with them. My paramount object in this struggle is to save the union and is not either to save or destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would also do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it helps to save this Union. And what I forbear, I forbear because I do not believe it would help to save the Union. I shall do less whenever I shall believe what I am doing hurts the cause, and I shall do more whenever I believe what I am doing will help the cause. I shall try to correct errors when shown to be errors, and I shall adopt new views so fast as they shall appear to be true views." I have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty, and I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. Yours, A. Lincoln. So, that's the end of the letter, and I didn't read the whole thing. It's not much longer. If you're interested, I'll link this in the show notes as well. But... It's just fascinating to me how incredibly political it was. He said he had a personal desire that all men be free, but it was not a public mission of his. His stated mission was to save the Union one way or another, and he said if he could have saved it by leaving slavery alone, he would have done that. So all the decisions he made... Uh, assuming that he was living out what he had written here, which he said, I want there to be no doubt and for it to be crystal clear that what he was doing was trying to save the Union and nothing else. And he would have done it by either leaving slavery alone, partially freeing the slaves, or freeing all of them. And so I guess he chose to free all of them. And of course, it was very political. We fought a very bloody war, and the rest is history, as they would say. So that was just a sidebar. I hope that it gives you a more realistic view of history, no matter what that history is. And being honest, I love these primary sources. So with that being said, let's jump back to Martin Luther King Jr., since that's who we celebrate this weekend. We are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied, until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. He dreamed of a day when all men would live in brotherhood and God's children might be able to truly sing my country, tis of thee. We know nations rise and fall by the hand of the Lord, and each nation ought to uphold justice and righteousness according to God's holy character. So if you look in Acts 17.26, the Bible says that he made, he that is God, made one man from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place so god made every nation the legacy of the cultural benefits that we enjoy today from this man uh, martin luther king junior still continue it boggles my mind from a christian worldview you see that all men are created equal before God because it says that the value, the intrinsic value that people have are derived from the creation of God. I just don't understand how from an atheistic, humanistic view, you can say that all men are deserving of the same rights when it's really survival of the fittest. Why not have the strongest of the species survive? So really, it comes back to a biblical foundation that says all men should have equal rights. Nowadays, 
racism is still prevalent when you judge a man by the color of his skin rather than the content of his character. Now, again, our history is very tainted by a form of slavery, which is called chattel slavery, and the racism that was involved there to justify such egregious actions and oppression of other human beings. Now, Martin Luther King Jr., he he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. My question to you is, has that dream come true? I would submit to you that it absolutely has. Now, personally, I grew up colorblind. I would join hands with any race, any ethnicity, any color. Uh, It's like the song that says, Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's all mankind. And we know that from one man, God made every nation. And therefore, every nation, every ethnicity is created in the image of God. That's one of the reasons why Christianity brings the gospel message to all the nations. There is no distinction. So, I appreciate very much what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for and the legacy that he left, even giving his life for the cause, uh, being assassinated as he was. There is uh, many things to be thankful for on this upcoming holiday or holy day. Now, the topic of slavery is a much broader topic, but I'm going to take it on right now in the very few minutes that we have. The biblical form of slavery, or the word doulos in the Greek, is it's difficult for us to wrap our heads around it because of, as I said in the intro, the Western form of slavery, which was very oppressive. Now, That's not to say that there wasn't the oppressive form of slavery. There's a lot of different forms of slavery. However, the biblical form that's not either either condoned or condemned, it's just presented and dealt with, is a form that's not oppressive. Uh, For example, the Bible says that masters should be very reasonable and caring and providing for their due losses. Now, it's hard to say the word slave because of the connotations that it carries in our language, but the word really there was slave. It was somebody who was owned by another person. That means that all of their services, their efforts, everything that they did as a person was sort of controlled and then provided for by a master. It wasn't forced labor. So a great example of forced labor would be the Israelites in Egypt. And God sent Moses as one of his servants, along with Aaron, to go and ask Pharaoh to free the Israelites. And he brought them out of slavery, out of that oppressive form of slavery. And scripture constantly appeals back to the fact that God did that and has made so many great promises to Israel coming out of that and constantly referring back to that. In fact, the Passover was a holiday that reminded them of the slavery that they were in that God had freed them from. I think it's important though, to recognize now that American slavery had built into it cheap labor. A lot of the industry that the South did or partook in was based on that cheap labor and oppressive labor. Now, those goods would often be shipped to the North and they would benefit from that. And I think there's a there's a perspective that says, well, the North is always made out to be the good guys and the South the bad guys, but it was very much more nuanced than that. And in fact, 
a lot of the men in the South were dealing with slavery at the time in a way that I would submit to you was, in fact, better than a lot of the people in the North. Um, For example, if you look at some of the generals that fought in the Civil War and how they dealt with the issue, um, it was an issue that was not dealt with properly at the forming of the country when they were writing the original documents. In fact, you know, the documents say that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. There was an elephant in the room that they didn't address until the Civil War. But now let's fast forward all the way to where we are today. And let's talk about for a second cheap labor. What has America done? What have we done? Have we stopped the use of cheap labor? I submit to you that we have not. We have put into place and do care about uh, tremendously the the issue of forced labor and uh, in particular child labor and, and forced labor, but we just export it from our country. So now we don't allow it here and we, you know, we have an aversion to it morally. We say, oh, that's, that's no good. And that is true. But look at this, look at this article uh, on the Bureau of International Labor Affairs. It's a list of goods produced by child labor or forced labor. It says that uh, the Bureau of International Labor Affairs maintains a list of goods and s- goods and their source countries which it has reason to believe are produced by child labor or forced labor in violation of international standards as required by the Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act. Now, The list of goods produced by child labor or forced labor comprises 159 goods from 78 countries and areas, and that's as of September 28th, 2022. So somewhat recent analysis here. And I found it interesting that they maintain this list primarily to raise public awareness about forced labor and child labor around the world and to promote effort to combat them. It is not intended to be punitive, but rather to serve as a catalyst for more strategic and focused coordination and collaboration among those working to address these problems. Before I get into the list, I'm going to name a few of the things. I think it's very fascinating, especially in America, being a very consumer-centric society, we often will buy goods that are made in other countries. Why? Because what America did was exported the use of cheap labor. So we outlawed it here. We said, oh yeah, that's a really bad thing. It's against the law. It's against the moral fabric of the society. However, let's be honest about our the economic benefit that we gain from this concept. And let's look at the implications. Now, I'm not saying we can solve this problem today. I'm just bringing it up because it's something that I ponder. Now, look at this. A lot of things are made in China, are they not? And guess what? China uses forced labor and child labor in many cases. Look at the goods that they found to use this. Bricks, cotton, electronics, uh, the electronics ones is interesting to me. I, there's there's a little paragraph if you actually go, I'll, I'll link to this, but if you happen to go and look at this, they have a little paragraph about the specifics of what they found. But for electronics, since personally by trade, I deal with electronics, there are reports that children ages 13 to 15 are forced to produce electronics in China based on the most recently available data from media sources, government raids, and NGOs. Hundreds of cases of forced labor, forced child labor, have been reported in factories in Guangdong province, but the children are often from Henan, Shanxi, or Saichan provinces. In some cases, children are forced to work in electronic factories through arrangements between factories and the schools that the children attend in order to cover alleged tuition debts. 
The labor, the forced labor programs are designed as student apprenticeships. However, the children report that they are forced to remain on the job and not allowed to return home. Half of the students' wages are sent directly to the schools, and the children receive little compensation after deductions are made for food and accommodations. In other cases, children are abducted or deceived by recruiters sent to Guangdong and sold to employers. Some children are held captive, forced to work long hours for little pay. Now, it makes it sound like um, that this isn't a terribly widespread issue, but I know that cheap labor is very important because I look at, you know, if you if you take any toy from the, the store, the toy store, um, or, or say off of Amazon, and you open it up and you look at the circuit board, you go, wow, th- this is like, how in the world are they selling this for the price that they are? And, and you know, when it comes from China, it's a very, very low uh, price. And the only conclusion that makes any sense is their standards are different. And yet we in America, we will consume these products all day long. Why? Well, as you know, made in America is a lot more expensive. It's hard to find products that are made in America and made well. Now, I know there is an effort and deglobalization is happening, whether that's a good thing or not. We have basically, uh, for many years now, exported our inflation. Why is it that goods and services, particularly goods, have not increased in price so much with all the money printing and all that stuff going on. Well, that's because we export our inflation to countries who will do it for cheaper. And China is a great example of one of those countries. It's very difficult to take a business model and justify producing a product, and I deal with this on a daily basis, without getting the best price possible, looking at the global economy for that particular item, whatever it is. And so, you know, we just need to recognize that we have not stopped the use of cheap labor. We've just exported it from our country. Now, if we can, as Americans, innovate, we can stay one step ahead of this problem, part of what brings prices down is innovation. If you can innovate in a way that saves costs and does it in an ethical manner, that is super, super cool. And so anyways, electronics is one of those. Uh, Fish, these again are on the list of the report that I was reading. Gloves, hair products, lithium-ion batteries, photovoltaic ingots, which I'm not sure what that is. I should probably look it up. But anyways, uh, photovoltaic wafers and polysilicon, solar cells, solar modules, textiles, uh, thread and yarn, tomato products, toys. So those are some examples. And you can go down and look at sort of the number of countries that use child labor or have used child labor for some of these things and maybe just get a feel for, you know, how this forced labor has continued. Now, on the topic of slavery, the the thing that I say is a shame and, and sad is that Western slavery indeed has tainted the meaning of the word or you know, again, we, we get this notion of this grotesque human oppression. Uh, how do we solve the, the consumerism uh, problem that uses forced labor and cheap labor and child labor for uh, goods that are made abroad? I don't know. Um, definitely love to buy Made in America because I know that the standards, as many problems as we have, and you can complain about America in a lot of different ways, and certainly I point the weaknesses of our culture and our society out in many ways, um, 
the standards are higher than some other countries, which we like to buy a lot of products from. So uh, just so just something that I ponder and think about. So it, it can help to, to buy products made in America or countries that you know have these higher standards. And again, I don't have the answer. If you have the answer, let me know. Letters at theholesteward.com. How do you avoid this sort of moral dilemma of the use of cheap labor for the goods that we receive? Let me talk about, just as we wrap up here, the form of slavery that is not bad. And that might sound hard. Well, how can any slavery possibly be good? Well, let's jump into that. But before we do, let me show you and describe what it is that the Bible condemns. The Bible absolutely condemns what is called uh, in the King James Version, man-stealers. I really like that translation. Uh, the ESV calls it enslavers. And they're listed right beside here in 1 Timothy 1.10, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, and there you see the, the uh, enslavers, and then liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So I think it's pretty easy to say that the enslavement of other human beings is absolutely wrong across the board and listed right along with all these other heinous sins. And so now that we have that out of the way, what often comes to our mind when we think of slavery is absolutely condemned. But let's look at the biblical word for slave. That is doulos. I highly recommend this website called Bible Hub. If you're not familiar with it, it'll show you uh, a breakdown of the Greek words and then the actual literal translation and meaning of, you know, like with the Strong's number and all that stuff. If you geek out on uh, the original texts where these translations have come from. So, for example, the word enslaver there means one who forcibly enslaves, like a kidnapper, for example. So, moving on to the word doulos, um, it's very fascinating that Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that each one, starting in verse 20, should remain in the condition in which he was called. In other words, called to salvation. So if you became a Christian, and again, the whole steward is from a Christian worldview, so that's the lens we're looking through, uh, were you a bondservant, Paul says, when called? Do not be concerned about it. Now, the word bondservant there, that is the word doulos. That is what was known as a slave. So here's what would happen. Often you would have people who had a debt to pay or they needed to provide for the, their family or they needed um, employment in a certain way. And what someone could do is they could enslave themselves as a bond to a master. And they could commit themselves to that master. So everything they did was in full ownership of that master. But in return, they would get a place to live. They would be part of the household. They would be provided for. They would often be paid and they would have excess uh, money. In fact, I said in the intro that a lot of what you would call a steward or a manager was often a slave of a master, but they were a very important person like Joseph in the house of Potiphar. He was put over all of his house, but he was a slave in Potiphar's house, but he was like Potiphar's right-hand man. He was completely owned by Potiphar. Now, Paul says here back in 1 Corinthians uh, 7 that if you were a bondservant, if you were enslaved to someone in this manner, do not worry about it. Do not be concerned about it, he says. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So Paul is saying, like, look, if you have given yourself to someone in basically ownership of everything you are and have as a person uh, in exchange for either paying off a debt or 
being provided for completely, then don't be concerned about it. Work as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord. But if you can gain your freedom, gain it. Do it. It's a good thing. And so he says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. So you've been freed from your sin. Uh, if you are a Christian, you have been made anew. You are owned now by Christ. In fact, we'll look in just a minute, uh, a little bit later, that we are slaves of Christ, which is not a bad thing. If you want to be in a household serving someone, serve the Lord Christ, right? Uh, and, and again, I keep coming back to this and saying it's not a bad thing. Why? Well, because when we think of slave, we think of a bad thing, but this is a different form. It's a bond servant. You willingly give your devotion and your life to another. But Paul says, if you can avail yourself of the freedom, do it. And again, this is in the context of ancient times, so we don't really have this problem, but I'll draw, draw an analogy in a second. Um, let's just get through this. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So there it is. If you are a freedman, but you are a Christian, you are still a bondservant. And there you see the translation. The translators are trying to get around the notion of slavery, but you know, you're really serving in full ownership, which is the definition, one of the definitions of a slave, the Lord Christ. And so you willingly bond yourself to Christ. And then in verse 23, to wrap it up, you are bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So Paul is really saying here, just be satisfied in whatever condition God called you in. So what I want to do now is draw an analogy. And you're going to say, Andrew, it breaks down. Yes, it does break down eventually. But the closest thing we have to this sort of relationship, as I see it, is employee-employer. And you're going to go, ah, stop right there, that it doesn't apply. Hold on a second. Let me explore this just a little bit with you. And just hear me out, and then we'll see what you think. When you, when you have an employee and an employer, in fact, let's look at the definition of employ. So if you're going to employ somebody, what does that mean? It means to make use of someone or something. So you can employ a pen for sketching, uh, be employed at a job. And so an employer is making use of a person. Now we say, okay, well, they get paid wages. Yes, they'd be closer to that of like a laborer. But when you uh, sign a, a contract or you agree to work for an employer, why are you doing that? Now let's be very honest. What are some of the basic needs that you have what are some of the basic needs that human beings are meeting by, you know, basically selling themselves, their time and their skills uh, to somebody else for a wage? Well, we need shelter, food. In a, a lot of cases, um, it's those basic needs of life. You need provision. And what do you do? You basically agree to be owned, if you will, can I use that word, by an employer, your time, your effort, what you do while at work is determined by your employer. And you've willingly bonded yourself to that employer. And then as an employer, you are agreeing to provide for the livelihood of your employee, really, uh, in exchange for the service that they commit to you. And so even though we have basically what's called at-will employment, where either the employer or the employee can terminate at any time, that's fine. But that employee who terminates and says, I don't need you anymore, and I don't like this job, and I don't like how you're oppressing me, whatever, 
has to now bond themselves to somebody else unless they become a master themselves or an employer themselves and they uh, take responsibility for now creating the jobs for themselves and employing others. And now you have, have switched from being uh, basically subservient to your employer to now being the master who needs to be patient and kind and not harsh with your employees. You have the responsibility of strategically working out everything in your business to ensure that your people are taken care of and that there's a little bit left over, that the business is profitable, because otherwise you that business will just go right down into um, bankruptcy and oblivion. So as far as I can tell, and, and, a, and a lot of people, you know, have the, 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 the dream and the desire to avail themselves of the opportunity to gain their freedom. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to go in and work for that boss every day? You want to be your own boss or whatever. Well, just keep in mind that if you aspire to, um, you know, being on the other side of that, it comes with a lot more responsibility and difficulty and effort than just uh, bonding yourself to somebody else who will just solve all those problems for you and figure out where is the income going to come from and how am I going to provide for the sort of the household or the group of employees. Now, again, the analogy breaks down at a certain extent. I understand that. But a lot of people, especially in the um, financial freedom space, this really resonates because if you are working toward building your own business so that you are not subservient to your employer, you are working towards your freedom, basically. And if you can create financial freedom or what is called financial freedom, then you have now availed yourself of the opportunity to gain your freedom. And until then, what does the Bible say about what we should do as Christians, as stewards, as, you know, with every form of capital that we have? So look at this. Colossians 3, 22 to 24. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, a lot of times this is used to uh, instruct employees, and I think it absolutely applies. There's no possible way it couldn't. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. While you are employed, you are obligated to obey your masters. Unless they're asking you to do something that's completely immoral, um, like Saul asking his servant to take his life uh, when he was at when he was wounded in battle, and he said, and and the servant said, no, you know, I won't lift my hand against uh, against the Lord's anointed. So. That, that slave, that servant, said, no, I'm not going to obey. And, and that's probably the right thing to do in that case. Saul ended up committing suicide then, which is very, very sad. Bond servants, the word there is super fascinating. So here's, here's Bible Hub. And if you look right at the top, it's, I don't know how to say this Greek word, but it's literally slaves. It's those who willingly put themselves under the ownership of somebody else to, in in exchange for probably the provision or the you know paying off of debts or whatever it is, and that's basically what employees do today every day. We've got mortgages, we've got car payments, we we need housing, we need food, and what do we do? We say, well, you know, uh, master, boss, person, employer, uh, please, I give myself to you for X number of hours every day, and whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'll do. And uh, if you could please provide for my family in the way of a salary or whatever it is, that's basically what's happening. 
And bond servants are to obey in everything their earthly masters, not by way of eye service. So now, if you find yourself working for somebody else, don't do it just for the sake of them seeing you do it. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, he says. Whatever you do. And that, that means when you're working for your master or you're working for somebody else. Um, don't be a people pleaser, but work with sincerity of heart because who do you fear? You fear the Lord because you are ultimately a servant, a bond servant or bond slave of Christ. And so you are serving the Lord Christ. Now, this is interesting right here. You are serving the Lord Christ. What's the literal translation there? It literally means to be a slave or to serve, uh, to be subject to or to obey or to be devoted to. Uh, the usage is, I am a slave. So um, it's basically the verb form of doulos, which is to serve as a slave. And so you are serving the Lord Christ. When you do a good job at your job, when you do it as unto the Lord and not to please people and not, you know, oh, the boss is walking in, look busy, that is where you will bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, a word for the masters. Do not treat your bond servants, uh, and by extension your employees who have uh, bonded themselves to you for, in return for their service, for provision, treat them justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So isn't that interesting? Paul says, look, masters, you're in charge of uh, creating jobs. You're in charge of solving the biggest problems in the world, which is, in this case, running a successful business. You need to treat your bond servants, your bond slaves, those who have willingly uh, bonded themselves to you, justly and fairly. You are serving your master in heaven. And so everyone, as a steward, is a slave of Christ. Everyone who believes, everyone who belongs to Christ is serving the Lord Christ in their stewardship. Now, if you do a good job, you are a well-done, good and faithful servant. You know, Jesus, over and over, the term translated servant, which captures the idea uh, somewhat in the English, is really slave there. You have willingly um, joined yourself to your master who is in heaven to serve him and bring him glory, whether you're functioning as a master on earth or a slave on earth, a bond servant. It really captures the essence or the heart of the reality of every human being on this earth. And I think that is summed up very well in Romans chapter 6. Paul writes, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Now Paul here is talking about, uh, do we continue to sin uh, just because grace will abound? And he says, by no means. That's the biggest negative in the Greek. He says, do you not know, verse 16, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness, leading to sanctification. When he says members there, he's talking about the members of your body, your, your body parts, really. Uh, for when you were slaves of sin, verse 20, uh, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see that there? He's talking about slaves of sin versus slaves of God. And then he says the wages, basically payment for what you're doing and who you're serving is for sin, it's death. And then for serving God, it's life. And to know God is a free gift, right? It's not something you can earn. However, the result of knowing God is righteousness. And it's not just imputed righteousness, it's also sanctification, and that's what he's specifically focusing on here. So, uh, yeah, the slavery of today. There, there's a lot of aspects to it. There's, there's a lot of negative history that we kind of went through and addressed, and then the fact that there is a, a modern form of slavery that harkens back to the idea that you have debts to pay or you need provision, and you, so you willingly bond yourself to someone who is a master, who is your master, who can provide that. And that is a very good uh, relationship. It's a very good thing. And so it takes a slightly different form and slightly different rules in the society, but not all that much different. And that's just my opinion that certainly doesn't mean that every form of slavery was, oh, it was totally fine. We can appreciate guys like Martin Luther King Jr. who fought against and, and really kind of brought our country uh, in a good direction in that regard. The thing of it is that this, this relationship of slavery, or let's call it bondservanthood because of the confusion in the terms, is actually a very good thing, and it's a very common thing in the economy. It's a very necessary thing in the economy because not everybody can be their own boss. You know, there, A lot of people don't want to be. They won't want to solve those hardest problems. They won't want to be the leader, the master. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to be in that position, much more difficult to just willingly bond yourself to somebody else who will provide for you in exchange for your service and a huge portion of your life and time and effort and and everything. In fact, um, you know, just to draw that analogy out, when you work for a company and you create, let's say, some critical IP, intellectual property, or you create some product and let's say it gets patented and, and whatever it is that you're doing for the company, that's all owned by the master. Everything that you created is owned by your master. And that's totally fine. That's my whole point is that the slavery of today, cheap labor in other countries that we exported our cheap labor, yeah, that's a problem. And I don't know exactly how to solve it other than to try to seek products that are made in America. Let me know if you've got a better way to solve it. And then finally, uh, appreciate that if you know Christ and you serve Christ, you are slaving, you know, and, and I learned this too. Okay, slave can be used as a verb. You slave away in the sweatshop, you know. We are serving or slaving for Christ. We are slaves of Christ. And you're either going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to the one who made you and serve him in righteousness. And he will impute his righteousness to you for salvation and then enable you through the Holy Spirit to live as a faithful servant or master, whatever you happen to find yourself in. And here on The Whole Steward with the Abundant Mindset, uh, I really like the fact that Paul says, if you find yourself having the opportunity to gain your freedom uh, by all means, do it. If if you are that person who wants that freedom and you want to be one of those who create the jobs as opposed to uh, work in the job or consume the job, uh, then absolutely do it. I have a lot of good guests coming up that are those types of people. And so I want to inspire you to be able to do that. But regardless of what you find yourself in, be satisfied with where you are Work heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, and glorify your master who is in heaven. That's all I have for today. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. 
All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.